Hello, my little bookworms, and welcome back once again to Stories with a Nerd. We're going to continue with The Wizards of Once, Twice Magic by Cressida Camel. And we are at Castle Death. So continue listening to hear more. Chapter 11. The story takes a surprising turn, as is the way of stories. What? said Tsar, so absolutely flabbergasted he momentarily forgot the quest. Get the breath, yelled Bodkin. It was a beautifully synchronised operation. You'd have thought they'd done it a thousand times before. The giant fell backwards with a crash that shook the hall to its remaining foundations, and the last breath was up and out of his mouth in a great cloud. Tiffinstorm zapped an appearance spell to make it visible, and there it was in a great shaggy cloud for one tantalising moment before... Row! Hinky Punk's shrieking spell failed to shrink it more than an inch or so. But that was where Eleanor Rose came in. She flew right over it, holding her little arms apart, and the breath shrank to pea size, and with a glorious... Flurry of wings, the peregrine falcon swooped, and the once sprite caught the now tiny little ball of breath in his collecting bottle, putting in the stopper as the falcon dived down, and then up, up again, out of the way of the rising dust. And then he dropped the little bottle into the waiting hands of Squeeze Juice, and the official sprite assistant to the spell raiding team. Wish ran over to the prone body of the giant. Eleanor Rose held up both her arms again, and in front of their eyes the giant body of the giant simply melted away into the ground beneath them. "'Where has he gone?' whispered Wish with round eyes. "'Where he should have gone a long, long time ago,' said Eleanor Rose. "'Do not be sad. He is free at last, the poor giant.' "'Oh, but we are sad,' said Wish, and all of them were, for the giant had been so noble and had been treated so badly. "'As am I,' said Eleanor Rose, briskly. "'Not sad, of course, but free.' And what a last breath it was, after all these years of anger. He forgives them, she said in amazement. How wonderful. Mission accomplished, the once sprite said proudly as the peregrine falcon came to rest on Tsar's shoulder. Squeeze Juice held up the bottle. There, right in the middle, was a small, odd-looking round thing, curled up in on itself like a flower. The sprites let out a great hissing cheer. The wolves and the snowcats howled their appreciation. We is spell raiders. The wolves capered up and down. The snowcats chased each other round the, din- the dinner plates. Lonesome sat down and howled. The only one who wasn't dancing gloatingly around the giant dinner table in glee was Zar, which was unlike Zar, who was normally gloater in chief. It was as if having to sit quietly for five minutes without fidgeting had been such an effort that he had to burst out now with his real feelings. It should be a revenge breath, said Zar crossly. What use is a forgiveness breath, even a giant one, if you're fighting witches, the greatest peril the world has ever known? It was only Zar who had failed to understand the true meaning of the story. For most of the others in the room, the story had thrown all the pieces of what they knew up in the air, and when they came down again, everything had changed. Stories can change lives, and this was one of those stories. Secrets had been told that had been kept buried and hidden away in human hearts for a very, very long time. "'Don't you understand, Zar?' said Wish. "'The princess in the story was my mother, and the young wizard was your father in Canto.' "'What?' Zar's Zar's jaw fell open. "'Nonsense. The young wizard was called Tor.' 
Maybe that was your father's name before he became an enchanter, suggested Caliburn, which was possible. Wizards did tend to take a new name when they rose to that status. But that's impossible, said Tsar. My father would never be so soppy as to fall in love with a human ice- iceberg that is Queen Sycorax. Is this why I'm magic, Eleanor Rose? said Rift through white lips. Yes, a warrior queen could have a daughter who was magic, if she once loved a wizard, said Eleanor Rose. The kiss of a wizard, if it was a true love's kiss, that could stay in the blood. The magic could still be in there, even after the lovers died. So there was the truth of it. Once, long ago, Sycorax and Encanto had been in love. And Sycorax had taken the terrible spell of love denied. And the love had died. She had married a warrior like she was supposed to. But somewhere, somewhere behind Sycorax's iron breastplate, the lingering true love kiss of a wizard had made her daughter magic, even though she was the daughter of two warriors. Oh dear, oh dear, oh dear, moaned Caliburn. They broke the rules, and rules are there for a reason. Wizards and warriors aren't supposed to fall in love, and now we see why. A child has been born, wish, who is magic mixed with iron. And that has changed the course of history. For magic mixed with iron is what the witches have been waiting for for so, so many years. Zara was still finding this hard to absorb. My father is always lecturing me about not breaking the rules, and you're telling me he broke the biggest rule ever. Maybe this is what our quest has been all about, said Wish excitedly. My father died years ago in a battle against the Grim Ogres. What about your mother, Zar? She died when I was a baby, said Zar. The narrator would like to gently point out that life was a whole load more uncertain in the Iron Age, which is why there are so many step-parents in fairy stories. So your father and my mother are free to fall in love all over again, said Wish excitedly. We can help them by undoing the spell of love denied. Both Tsar and Bodkin looked at her as if she were crazy. If my father made the mistake of falling in love with that dreadful polar ice cap that's your mother once, he's never going to do it twice, said Tsar in disgust. Oh dear, oh dear, oh dear, said Caliburn in great agitation. Undoing the spell of love denied would be impossible. What was Pentaglion thinking to cast such a spell? Eleanor Rose sniffed disapprovingly. Yes, Sometimes it is the ones who think they are wisest, who are in fact the most foolish. You're never too old to learn. Now, goodbye, little humans and other funny creatures, she said. Oh, don't go, cried Wish. We really, really need your help. And you never told me where the spoon was, do you know? I do know where it is, agreed Eleanor Rose. Oh, cried Wish in delight. Please tell me where he is. I can release it for you. After that... You should leave here as quick as you can, warned Eleanor Rose. Us frost sprites are not really supposed to interfere with the affairs of the humans, you see, which is one of the reasons I can't kill that, she said, gesturing upward, for that really would be interfering. And besides, I made that a promise. What is that? said Bodkin, looking up at the ceiling, where he thought he could see something. He, he wasn't sure what, but something lurking up there. They hadn't noticed before, but whatever it was was dripping. One small drop, every minute or so, like a stalactite in a cave. Drip, drip, drip. Bodkin moved forward, peering upward, trying to see what it was. And just as Bodkin was staring upward, something rather larger than a drop of water melted from the dark 
thing that it was attached to and landed on the floor with a bright, clear ringing noise like a bell. Cling, 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 cling. Something that bounced around brightly on the floor before lying quite still. Something about the size of an enchanted spoon. Wish rushed forward with a cry of joy. My spoon! My spoon! And she caught the spoon up in her arms. He's fine! she exclaimed in jubilant relief. The spoon was as cold as ice, but she could feel it warming and beginning to move, and the fork and the key and the pins curled around it gleefully, the key making purring noises, and even the sprites in the hairy fairies were pleased for Wish at this reunion. Zara and Bodkin patted her on the back, and the snowcats and wolves capered around in happy circles. Wish turned to thank Eleanor Rose, but Eleanor Rose had already left. Off she flew, up and away, rocketing like a tiny shooting star, pausing at the moment of the rim of the battlements and then sending down some sprite writing as an afterthought before continuing on the direction of the north. The sprite writing hovered in front of them for a few beautiful flickering moments before disappearing too, like smoke in the sea. Remember, said the sprite writing, the universe often depends on one unlikely chance. Oh, I liked her, said Wish, sighing and hugging the spoon very tight. She cared far more than she thought she did, and I felt somehow better when she was here to protect us. As the spoon grew warm and wiggly in her arms, she could tell by his body language that it wasn't as joyful about this reunion as it ought to have been. It seemed agitated. It was jumping sluggishly but anxiously on her hand. It seemed to be trying to point to something, something up above their heads. What's the spoon trying to say? asked Zara as they looked round themselves and realised they were suddenly very alone in the castle, with the giant and Eleanor Rose gone. Some haunting spell had left it, and it felt peaceful, and no longer sad, but also no longer alive. Nonetheless, the silence was a little... Ominous. Why do you think Eleanor Rose said we should get out of here as fast as we can? Asked Stiffenstorm uneasily. Bodkin was slowly backing away as he looked upward at where the frost sprite had pointed a few minutes earlier at the exact spot the spoon had dropped from. There was something else hanging from the ceiling, like a gigantic vampire bat. A still thing folded in on itself, quiet and malevolent and patiently waiting. It had witnessed the story. It had hung there for weeks. It had been there all along and they had not noticed it. A plotter. A planner. A thing with wings. What is that? His Tiffin Storm drawing her wand as sharp as any thorn. Wish and Zara and the sprites and the snowcats and the wolves turned their own heads upwards to follow Tiffinstorm's pointing finger. The werewolf stiffened, sniffed the air as he smelt something wicked, and raised his shaggy head reluctantly. Hiss, hiss the sprites, bright as fire. How could they not have smelled that before? That stink, that reek, that corpse-like stench, because whatever it was had been frozen until that very moment. Bodkin had been staring up at the thing for a while now, and he was so scared he could barely get the words out. That, said Bodkin, 
It's the King Witch. We need to get out of here now. Chapter 12. A bad moment for your escape to get held up. As they all looked upward in horror, their mouths open at the great dark nightmare hanging above them like a sword about to drop, some more sprite writing appeared, shooting down from above. It was a little wobblier and harder to read, for Eleanor Rose was now very, very far away, on the way back to the pole where she belonged. The giant and I promised the King Witch we wouldn't kill him if he brought you all to this place together, said Eleanor Rose's sprite writing. I've frozen him for the moment, but the further I get away from the castle, the harder it is for me to keep him that way. So I repeat, you will have a bit of a head start, but you need to get out of there as soon as you can. Oh, brother, oh, brother, oh, brother, moaned Zar, drawing the enchanted sword. Sorry about that, finished the sprite writing, getting fainter and fainter every second. But the ends justify the means. A fine outcome excuses a bad method. All in pursuit of a higher good, you know. You'll understand a bit when you're older. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. They scrambled to get off the giant's table and out of that hidden hole before the thing moved. The sprites launched themselves into the air. The humans leapt on the backs of the snowcats who ran down the table legs, scrambling to get across the hall and escape from the castle before that thing woke up. Up, out of the hall and into the courtyard, the sprites zooming overhead. However, as the sprites and the animals emerged, shrieking and running as fast as their paws could take them into the daylight, an unwelcome sight met their eyes. While they had been listening to the story, their pursuers had finally caught up with them. Tiffinstorm gave a cry of distress, pointing her wand to the south, where up the southern ramparts were climbing rogobreths, giants, wizards, and the drifting ghostly shapes of druids. A golden eagle and a grey falcon flew through two of the broken windows and then swooped so low over the heads of Wishnzar and Bodkin as they rode the snowcats through the ruined castle. Oh, brother, cried Zar, turning his head to look up. This is really going to hold us up. What is it? said Wish, riding Night-Eye right beside him. My father, said Zar. That's my father. How can it be your father? It's a bird, said Bodkin. But even as he said it, he knew it was a stupid statement. The golden eagle and the, gu- and the guy falcon wheeled around slowly and hovered in front of the children. The long wings of the golden eagle turned into arms and the body into the human form of Incanzo, and he landed lightly and coolly on the ground. The guy falcon's wings transformed into the long trailing sleeves of the druid commander and he gave a grunt of satisfaction as he landed on the broken floor of the castle. Split up! Dodge! yelled Zar and the snowcat swerved, but it was already too late. They were surrounded. The spelling staffs flew out of their pouch on Zar's back and into the hands of Incanzo and the druid commander. Birds flew in from all corners of the broken castle. Peregrines and crows and seagulls and transformed into hovering hooded druids, landing with their long ominous sleeves trailing behind them. Wolves and bears and snowcats and mountain lions appeared, each with a wizard on its back, armed for battle, and they took up their staffs and the castle rang with magic spells so overcoming so that Wish and Zara and Bodkin could barely move, and Bodkin struggled for breath. "'Going somewhere, Zar?' said Encanzo, coolly. 
Tsar cursed his father loud and long as the spells from Incanzo's staff carried him up into the air, legs dangling furiously. Let me go, shouted Tsar. We need to get out of here right now. There's a king witch about to unfreeze in the chamber below us. You will excuse me if I do not believe you, Tsar, said his father in a voice of steel, for you have lied to me so many times in the past. We are here to take you back to Gormenkrag. You are putting Gormenkrag to try and help you, but it seems you are determined to prove you are beyond help. Why do you never listen to what I say, raged Tsar? That druid thinks that I'm incurable. He just wants to keep me there forever. I am never going back to Gorman Craig, father. Anyway, this is all beside the point, because just as I told you, there's this king witch about to attack. Wish stepped forward. Your son is right, sir. He's telling the truth. There really is this king witch down there. Incanso gave a start as he took in Wish and Bodkin for the first time. Who are you, and why are you with my son? There was no good answer to this question. Oh, said Wish, I'm nobody. I'm nothing at all. I'm just a friend of Zars, but nobody important. I'm just a... I'm a... Well, what on earth could she be? While Wish was desperately trying to think of a satisfactory answer to this question, an ice-cold voice came floating out on the air from the right-hand side of the circle where all the wizards, druids and giants were gathered. A voice as cold as a frost drop, and as sweetly pure as the point of a freshly sharpened knife. She is my daughter, said Queen Sycorax, sweeping into the broken castle for all the world as if she were entering the Emperor's imperial crown room far away in the warrior capital. And your son has kidnapped her in an act of war. Chapter 13 Two angry parents. Oh, great, moaned Bodkin, in an agony of agitation. Now everybody's here. We're never going to get Wish away at this rate. It appeared that Bodkin was right. Down in the chamber below, the dark frozen shape of the King Witch was twitching, rocking, twitching, rocking as if it was going to unfreeze any second. But the humans above were too concerned with their own problems to worry about him. The words were hardly out of Queen Sycorax's mouth, then one of the magic hunters threw a net woven entirely out of iron wires around Incanzo. Incanzo's magic blood blazed out uselessly as the net tightened around him, and the witch-smeller stepped forward and placed iron manacles around his arms. As soon as the iron touched Incanzo, Zar was released from the spell that held him, and he dropped heavily to the ground. It all happened so quickly, no one had time to blink. Do not move. We have captured your leader. And one move, one attempt at a spell, and we will kill him, cried the witch-smeller. Ambushed, swore the druid commander, cursing under his breath. I knew that boy would lead us all into a trap. He should be locked underground forever, and we should throw away the key. All around the circle, magic things crouched low, growling. The sprites burnt bright with alarm and fear. The rogobreths and the giants grumbled deep in their great chests, but they dared not attack when their leader was immobilised and at the warrior's mercy. Queen Sycorax's warriors trooped into the broken castle. The moonlight glistened off their iron helmets, bristling weaponry, their magic-catching equipment. Some were riding horses, others giant grey wolves. "'Forest destroyers!' hissed the wizards. Wicked magic users, followers of witches, shouted the warriors. Well poisoners, child stealers. Incanso was incandescent with annoyance to find himself overpowered and enchained so easily, and his expression became even more furious when he clapped eyes on Queen Sycorax. 
She was looking more beautiful and splendid than ever in the manner of a particularly spectacular polar ice cap. But her eyes were bleaker than midwinter frost, and great thunderclouds streamed off in Kanzo's head, dark, eccentric with fury. So the atmosphere was... How can I describe it? Tense. Imagine the foreboding crackle in the air and the spine-jingling fizz in the ground below. You, If you just so happen to be standing on the edge of a volcano about to erupt, and then multiply that feeling by about twenty, and you will have an impression of what it might have been like on that ill-starred moonlit night when Queen Sycorax met King Incanzo on the heights of Castle Death. Not even Wish's hopeful gaze could make out the slightest remains of past love in either of the two monarchs' eyes. In fact, you could even say that they were glaring each other in what could be described as most lively and absolute hatred. Queen Sycorax had her own reasons for being particularly irritated at being dragged against her will to this godforsaken blast of a doomed castle. She had been here before, long ago when the castle had been in considerably better condition, and she did not like being forced to confront past deeds, and to be made to discover the ruin that the castle had become, possibly. Who knows, as a consequence of her own actions. So when Queen Sycorax was not in a good mood, she stepped disdainfully across the broken rubble in her golden slippers. "'Good evening, Queen Sycorax,' said Incanzo with bitter, icy politeness. "'Ambushing a fellow royal in neutral territory, rather than meeting an open battle is treacherous and against your own warrior rules. But I gather your excuse this time is that in some way unknown to ourselves, we have declared war on you.' This seems like a very unwise way to address a warrior queen who has you in handcuffs, but Incanzo was a little too angry to be wise in that moment. Queen Sycorax might have been in a bad mood, but it took quite a lot to get her properly angry. People were so terrified her that anger was rarely necessary. However, it turned out that this would do it. There is no question of excuses, said Queen Sycorax in a voice spitting like a nestful of infuriated hornets. Your repellently out of control and rude little son has declared war on our nation by kidnapping my daughter, presumably on your orders. I am not repellently out of control and rude, snorted Tsar, furious to see if his father and people overcome so humiliated easily by this dreadful queen. And if we're trading insults, you have the largest nose on a queen that I have ever seen. Queen Sycorax flinched. The entire courtyard took in a breath. For Queen Sycorax did have, as it happened, rather a large nose. It was a splendidly, a splendidly royally, beautifully large nose, but a trifle on the enormous side of medium nonetheless, and she was a little sensitive about that. Queen Sycorax's eyes sharpened to splinters. What did you say? Big nose, shouted Tsar. Cowardly, flat-footed, no-hearted, evil destroyer of forests. Skulking behind your wall while we wizards get destroyed by the witches. You have a nose the size of a meteorite. You have a nose the size of a tower. You're the wickedest woman in the whole forest, but you also have a nose the size of a planet. Be polite, Tsar, said Caliburn in agonised fashion. You're talking to the person who has the power to kill your father. It is entirely unsurprising that the boy should be so rude, raged Queen Sycorax, like father, like son. But in this case, I disagree with Zara entirely, said Incanzo. You, Queen Sycorax, have always had the most beautiful nose in the Wildwoods. It is your heart that is the problem. The owner of the most beautiful nose in the Wildwoods is also a queen who has no conscience. The most beautiful nose in the Wildwoods fled in and out with, with temper. 
The cheek of it! You and your entire magic people have only been allowed to exist because of my mercy, said Queen Sycorax. And I haven't left you to be destroyed by the witches. I have personally hired this man here to get rid of them for me. She pointed to the witch smeller. Incando sniffed. One look at this man tells me that he is not the right person for the job. Sycorax's temper was not improved by the fact that she had secretly agreed with Incanzo on the point. "'Enough of all this,' she snapped. "'I have been patient with you for way too long. "'Incanzo, you must give me your solemn word as a king "'that you will stop using your magic right here, right now, "'and order your followers to do the same.' "'They gathered magic people, gave furious murmurs. "'No, mother, no!' cried Wish. "'For goodness sake, everyone, please listen to me. "'This isn't the time for doing this. "'We're going to need all the magic we can get "'because there's this king witch about to attack "'just in the chamber below us.' But Queen Sycorax was too concerned with her fight with Incanzo to listen to Wish. "'You must stop using your magic, Incanzo,' said Sycorax, "'or I will give the word for my warriors to attack.' Caliburn flew between them both. "'Sycorax, you know you do not mean that.' "'The wizards and the druids do not have a hope of fighting your soldiers, "'for you are armed with iron.' "'Oh, but I do mean it,' said Queen Sycorax with a glittering smile." How strange, mused Incanzo, for you to ask me to stop using magic when I have heard rumours that you are not above dabbling in magic yourself. Queen Sycorax blushed. Sometimes a queen can break the rules in pursuit of a higher good. The ends justify the means. A fine outcome excuses a bad method. Oh, is that what you believe? said Incanzo, raising an eyebrow. How extremely convenient. Fight them, father, shouted Tsar. Your father is not the invincible person that you think he is, boy, said Queen Sycorax contemptuously, quivering with temper. You see him as a terrible, powerful magician. But a little touch of my iron, and see how weak he is. My father is not weak, said Tsar fiercely. He is the strongest person in the world. No, Tsar, the queen is right. Here with my hands in iron manacles, said the enchanter with a smile. My magic is useless. But however clever Sycorax may be, she still has much to learn. She can kill me, but I will still be here. And magic cannot be destroyed, it can only be hidden. I hate magic, cried the queen passionately. Magic is disorder. Magic is shortcuts. Magic is chaos and anarchy. Choose, she said. I choose that you should attack us, said the enchanter. The queen looked at him in astonishment and stamped her foot. Choose wisely, she cried. I have chosen wisely, said the enchanter. He laughed, and that infuriated Sycorax even more. Was it not the choice that you wanted? I am trying to find a civilised way out of this mess, said the queen in exasperation. I do not want violence any more than you do. Giving up your magic will leave your people with a contented, happy way of life. Look at us warriors. It is very hard to be a leader, is it not? said Incanzo sympathetically. Sometimes hard decisions have to be made. "'You gave me a choice, and I took it. "'Now you have to let your warriors attack.' "'The queen looked at him in baffled fury. "'Queen Sycorax was a very, very tricky person, "'but it is possible that the queen had been out-tricked. "'No,' she said sharply. "'Too late,' whispered the witch-meller, "'moving forward, purring. "'He chose death.' "'The witch-meller stepped forward and saw drawn. "'Incanzo braced himself for the final blow.' And Queen Sycorax leaned forward and knocked the sword out of the witchmeller's hand. 
"'What are you doing?' said the witch-smeller in astonishment. "'Oh, for goodness sake, you stupid so-called witch-smeller!' snapped the queen. "'Don't you know anything? "'I can't possibly murder an unarmed enemy king in cold blood, "'however much he may thoroughly deserve it.' Kanzo's expression was unreadable. Surprise, satisfaction, relief, anger, despair, ward for supremacy in his face. But eventually despair won out. "'You may stop short of allowing your warriors to slay me, Sycorax, said Kanzo. But you do not seem to understand that in taking away our magic and destroying our habitats, you are killing us nonetheless. You leave me no choice. Tsar, you are about to have your way. You wanted war, and you shall have it. At last, said Tsar, his eyes brightening, in his Tsar-like way, his excitement at finally being allowed to fight the warriors in open battle made him momentarily forget the impending doom of the King Witch. At last they were going to stand up to these stupid warriors and show them that wizards could really fight. War it shall be, said Hinkanzo sadly. And maybe, Tsar, you will now see why I have gone to such trouble to avoid it. Magic people, attack! Chapter 14 They really shouldn't be fighting each other. No, no, cried Wish in distress. Why wouldn't you listen? Both of you, this is all a waste of time. We shouldn't be fighting each other. I keep telling you, there's this king witch just below us, and he's about to unfreeze, and he's the commander of a whole horde of witches, so this really isn't the moment to do this. Warriors, attack, replied Sycorax, completely ignoring her. Be merciful if you can be. If the wizards surrender, take them prisoner. Wizard faced warrior, and they began to fight. The magic people were at a great disadvantage, for as you know, magic does not work on iron, but snowcats have teeth and talons as do bears and wolves. Even sprites have fangs that sting like bees if they bite you, and wizards and druids carry bronze weapons with them as well as their magic staffs if they are venturing into difficult or unknown territories. So the sound of bronze sword on iron breastplate rang out with a bright and terrible ring, and such was the volume of the roars of the wolves and the hissing of the sprites, the cursing of the druids and the bellows of the giants that you could barely hear yourself think in the cacophony of the battle. Wish looked on in horror. Why do they do this, Caliburn? she asked despairingly. They're so stupid. I told them about the King Witch, but they're just not listening. I thought maybe after the story that we could make my mother and Tsar's father see sense, but look at them now. Sycorax had made her guards remove Incanzo's manacles. Both monarchs drew their swords, bowed to each other with exaggerated royal courtesy, and then lunged simultaneously, their sword points meeting in dreadful song as they began their battle. "'You might as well give up now,' spat Queen Sycorax as she fenced superbly, "'for it is inevitable that you will lose. Your bronze sword is no match for my iron.' "'I cannot lose more than I have lost already,' said Incanzo. Caliburn on Wish's shoulder sighed and shook his head. I don't know, he said sadly. So many lifetimes I have lived, and this is the way it always ends. And look at Tsar, said Wish. Is he going to grow up to be as bad as the others? But even Tsar found that real war was not the same as the idea of it. What was he supposed to do now? Fight Bodkin, who was running towards him? But he liked Bodkin. The red mist of excitement faded from Tsar's head, and he paused uncertain. Ah, shouted Bodkin. We need to help Wish get out of here. In the confusion, we can get away. Oh, yes, said Zar with a start. Of course we can. Too late. As the wizards and the warriors fought each other, some of the combatants lost their balance 
and when the ground beneath them began to shake. For in the chamber below, the sinister shape of the king witch had finally unfrozen. And with a noise louder than a thousand thunderclaps, it burst up through the broken flagstones of the courtyard, creating such an outstanding noise that the people halted their fighting in astonishment. Up, up, it soared, and then it dropped. As it fell, it picked up speed, making a horrific explosion noise as the green sparks flew off it. Someone pointed upwards in alarm at what now seemed transformed into a huge boulder plummeting down towards them, and as the small party running across the hall scattered as BOOM! What looked like a boulder landed with an almighty explosion right splat bang in the middle of the centre of the courtyard, shattering into a mass of tiny black shards and dust, and at the moment of impact it burst into bright green flames. Look, said Bodkin, pointing at the sky above them. Above the castle, there was the sound of wings. Many, many wings. The crowd turned up, and there they were, slowly turning visible in front of their eyes. The sky was thick with witches. There are such a lot of them, gasped Sycorax. How could there be so many witches for you in the world, and we do not know about them for so long? Where have they all been? Five of the witches swooped down on the gigantic leaping fire, flew round and round it, turning the flames as they flew anti-clockwise as if they were winding some invisible clock, making a horrible keening sound. With trembling fingers, Zar got a good hold of the enchanted sword. The witches whirled faster, faster, shrieking in delight as the fire burned and screamed and cackled. And then great wings opened in the heart of the fire, wings that spread wide, slowly, unbearably. Wings on fire. Eyes like melting holes of hate. A beak that screeches loathing of the world and all the sweet good things that are in it. The King Witch. Chapter 15 The King Witch The queen shook the boulder dust off her white skirt, sniffing. We seem to have a slight problem, said the enchanter, betraying his agitation by a slightly raised eyebrow. If Queen Sycorax could play it cool, then by mistletoe so could in the enchanter. The crowd stared in horror at the large crater in the centre of the courtyard, which now looked as if it had been blasted by the landing of a stray asteroid. Power reaped from that feathered thing, as slowly, slowly it unfurled its wet black wings to their full extent. They dripped on the floor to black smoking drips as it lifted its beak and looked around at the crowd until it could pick out Zar and Wish. Sycorax was pale, very pale, for she knew that this was all partly her fault. She had tried to be too clever. This was the horror that had been hiding in her stone that takes away magic all along. Wish had told her, but there is nothing like being confronted with the actual reality to make you realise the extent to which you might have miscalculated. She turned to Encanto white as ice. I'll call Crippen, said, Inqu said Queen Zikorax uncertainly. I think I may have made a mistake. Miracle of miracles, stiff Queen Sycorax, proud Sic Queen Sycorax, unbending Queen Sycorax, who always thought that she was right about everything, absolutely everything, admitting that even she might not be perfect. We all make mistakes, said Incanso grimly. Even you and I, Queen Sycorax. Oh, by hemlock and nightshade and all things mean and bad, whispered the witch Mella. What is that? That is a witch, said Sycorax. You see the difference, pest controller? 
giants and fairies and magical people, they're not really witches at all, are they? A witch is a kind of unmistakable. And that isn't just a normal witch either, said Incanzo grimly. That is a king witch. What do you want, witch? Now that the king witch began to speak, and it was a dreadful noise, dreadful sound indeed, a harsh and grating and guttural noise that seemed to pain him to make, and every now and then a word was reversed, as was the fashion with witches. I want the children, crooned the king witch. Give me the children. There was a horrible silence. What children, said Incanzo. The king witch pointed at Zara and Wish. The boy is mine already, said the king witch, and the girl is special. There's absolutely nothing about Wish. Look at her, said Queen Sycorax briskly, but there may have been a little anxiety in her voice. She's totally ordinary, and if anything, for a warrior, just a little substandard. They all looked at Wish, standing uncomfortably on one leg. She didn't look remotely special, a small, skinny child with an eye patch and her hair sticking out in all directions. She has something I need, continued the King Witch. I already have some of it, but only as much as was in the tip of a very little finger. Now I want all of it to share with my fellow witches. Give her to me now. And what, said the Queen with considerable asperity, are you intending to do with her? I will eat her, said the King Witch. Which was not very nice, but what did you expect a witch to like? There was another horrified silence. That is ridiculous, snapped Queen Sycorax, magnificently scornful, and every inch a monarch. Of course you can't eat, my child, you disgusting creature. I've never heard of anything more barbaric. Give me the child, repeated the king witch. I will swallow her whole. Give me the child. I'm the queen of these territories, said Sir Correct imperiously. We have a warrior army fully armed with iron. Take your witches out of here before we kill you all. Go. The king witch gave a ghastly shriek and spread wide his large dark wings and leapt into the air. And as he flew up, up into the airy heights, it looked for one moment as if he was flying away, trying to escape. Spare a thought for the poor witch, Smiler. This was meant to be his moment. He'd been enjoying the battle with the wizards. But this was even better. As the king which soared upward, the witch smeller was rubbing his hands together. Oh, this was too good. All his wishes had come true at once. A witch. At last he had found a real live witch after a lifetime of looking. And not just one witch, a whole host of the creatures. They weren't extinct after all. Get out the witch-destroying weapon, yelled the witch smeller joyfully. Prepare to face the full force of iron, think of evil. He put down his iron visor, almost chuckling to himself. The witch smeller imagined, encased in iron as he was, iron breastplates, iron helmet, that it would be quite safe against the witch. It might look scary, this creature, but no magic could work against iron. He would first get rid of the big one and then turn the might of the weapon on all the others. And then he would go back to the capital and triumph and glory with lots of witch beaks to show the emperor. The witch smeller was just enjoying this happy little thought when the king witch turned on him. High up in the air, the king witch turned in a great, beautiful, glorious swoop, if you had been in the mood to admire the swooping of witches, which the witch mother most certainly wasn't, and with a grand gesture of his feathered wing, the king witch pointed all five of his taloned fingers at the witch smeller and his two imperial giant killers who were struggling to launch the witch-destroying weapon. 
and the magic came blinding out of the five fingers with the fierceness of which it might blast out of the five wizard's staffs. Fifty years the witch-mother had studied witch-hunting and the pursuit of magic, and now he was looking through his little iron visor at the thunderous sky and realising, oh my goodness, that the king-witch was spelling at him, and that was exactly the same moment that he had a tiny flicker of concern as he realised, horror of horrors, how small he was, how insignificant, how unprepared for the spells coming down at him in brilliant stars of light. The witch didn't even have time to get the Imperial Giant Killers to launch his witch-destroying weapon. It had taken years for the witch father and for the witch father's father to design that weapon, and they reckon they got it to pretty much perfect. But this is an, an excellent example of how things that work magnificently in theory don't necessarily work in practice. The witch got as far as shouting, Launch the whip! before the spells hit him. The stars of light hit the witch-smeller full on the chest and bounced neatly off onto the other magic hunters standing around him one after the other. One second, the witch-smeller was standing in full body armour, erect and splendid, if a little uneasy, with his axe raised high above his head shouting impressive instructions. The next second, the armour had stiffened around him and solidified as if he were caught within it, if it were the trunk of a tree. Clang! His visor came down. "'Hello,' said the witch-smeller in a bewildered sort of way, and the echo of his own voice came back to him from within his metal prison. "'Hello!' All around him, his fellow magic hunters were similar, similarly caught, stuck in their armour, frozen in various poses of attack, one of them bending down to light the fuse that might set off the witch-destroying weapon, also frozen, with an, another with the armour of their head, about to launch a spear, others in the act of taking their swords from their scabbards. "'Iron!' Their armour was made of iron. How could the witch's magic be working on iron? With a terrible sinking of the heart, Tsar realised how. Back in their last adventure, when they first met the King Witch in Queen Sycorax's dungeon, the King Witch had drunk up some of witch's magic, and now, for the very first time, he had a little magic that could work on iron. The King Witch had not taken enough of Wish's magic to do more than make the armour freeze. He couldn't make it move or dance, but freezing was quite enough to paralyse the Witch-Smeller and his band of magic hunters. Are you all right in there, Pest Controller? snapped Queen Sycorax, peering through the Witch-Smeller's visor. Enjoying your first encounter with a real witch? Help! said the Witch-Smeller in reply, and all the soldiers echoed around him. Help! 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 as if they tried and failed to move the armour that had solidified all around them. Queen Sycorax sniffed. So much for your famous witch-destroying weapon. The King Witch shouldn't have been able to do that, said Incanzo grimly. But they didn't have time to absorb any of the implications of this, for the King Witch whirled around and screamed, Let me show you why you should do as I say. Witches, attack! Chapter 16 The Witches Attack With the terrible smell of burning feathers, the witches swooped. When witches attack, they assault all your senses at the same time. Their stink is unbearable, the worst smell you can possibly imagine. Their scream is like the shriek of five hundred angry foxes, and it buries itself in your brain and reverberates around your head till you feel like you might go crazy. Warriors! Wizards! Giants! Lynxes! cried Sycorax. Stop fighting each other! Fight the witches! And Nikanzo held up his staff and yelled out the same orders. Sycorax and Nikanzo didn't really need to shout out those instructions. 
The noise and the smell were so horrid that the wizards and the warriors were instinctively banding together to fight these new terrifying assailants. Warriors and wizards and giants were in one instant fighting back to back on the same side. But there was an astonishing number of the witches, a cloud of them like a swarm of gigantic malevolent crows. The witches were happy to attack the magic things, but they were still afraid of the warriors and they couldn't attack them like the king witch could. Hold fast! Defend your positions! cried Sycorax, the great war leader. Fight the witches together! The king witch sharpened his talons against each other like a blacksmith sharpening a gigantic sword. And then, quick as a weasel, he stretched up his claw and screamed an unintelligible gargle of a command. We need to defend the children, said Incanzo, jumping up aboard his lynx, and Sycorax glided up behind him, side saddle, arms crossed, for she would have died rather than put her arms around Incanzo's waist. It was remarkable the way that she did not lose her balance as the lynx leapt forward, but then Queen Sycorax was really rather a remarkable woman. Go away, shouted Zara as Incanzo pulled the lynx to a halt beside him. I don't need your help. You have to let us defend you, Zara, said Incanzo. I had no idea that creature was after you. In the heat of the moment, and in his anxiety, Zara admitted something that he had not yet really wanted to admit even to himself. The king which isn't after me, he's after Wish, said Zara. Wish is the girl of destiny. We need to help Wish. Above Zara's head, the whir of soft wings. Five witches soared and they did not pause for Zara. Zara was right, they were after Wish, while her magic was still untrained and uncontrolled. Wish was in the centre of the courtyard. She had been about to take off her eye patch, but the witches had attacked with such suddenness that she had only nudged it up a smidgen. And as they attacked, Incanzo leapt from the back of his snow cat and pointed his fingers towards Wish, making a defensive magical force field the size of a very large round invisible boulder spring up around Wish to protect her. The force field burned bright as the witches struck again in a grin, like great black ravens attacking a tasty morsel. Such was the force of their onslaughts that Wish was rolled drunkenly around the courtyard, thrown about inside the force field with such violence that she was unable to take off her eye patch. Every time she put her arms up to do it, she was thrown off balance once more. The king witch landed in a blur of wings and crouched down, long black drips of saliva pouring from both sides of his jaws. It's weakening, screeched the king witch, three eyes glowing red as the great slugging force of the witch's spell attacks began to crush the force field protecting Wish, punching great dents in it as it rolled pathetically this way and that. Zar ran towards them, the enchanted sword slippy in his trembling hand. Get off her, cried Zar, waving the sword at the king witch. The king witch crouched lower. You fool, he whispered. Do you not know, boy, that you are mine? I am not yours, screamed Zar. You have to be careful what you wish for, crooned the king witch, and you wish for witch blood. Willingly took it, put out your hand and made the cut yourself. X marks the spot. How could Zar deny it? His whole hand beneath the glove was burning a bright, terrible green of such vividness that it turned the glove itself transparent. And now I control you, said the king witch. It was I who urged you to escape from the prison of Gorman Crag, and I who helped you to do it. You brought her to me. No, said Zar, very white. It's not true. But it is only sometimes when you reach the end of the quest that you realise what it has been about all along. They had fallen into a trap set by the king witch. All along the way they had thought that they were making free choices, but silent, frozen, unmoving, the king witch had been controlling them like the spider in the middle of a great grey web. The king witch turned his dead face to Zar. You can't fight me, he said. 
Zar's bright green hand burned hot with such fire that it made poor Zar cry out, and it was as if his arm had a mind of its own. His own hand, holding on to the enchanted sword, dragged him forward with his body, desperately trying to pull it the other way. But the hand was inexorable. It pulled him with such dreadful force. He tried to resist holding on to his right elbow with his other hand, but like it or not, for good or evil, the rest of his body was attached to the hand, so what could he do? His heels dragging, he was hauled towards Wish, who was still being thrown about in Incanzo's force field. If the sword kills witches, it can kill her, too. "'And I can eat her dead just as well as alive,' whispered the King Witch. "'You can kill her for me, boy. Humans are weak. She won't want to hurt you.' Remember who you are. You're a wizard and she's a warrior. Wizards hate warriors. I'm sorry, Wish. I can't stop it, shouted Zara as his bright green hand brought the sword down on the red force field and broke through it. Bam! It shattered into thousands of pieces that exploded around the courtyard like tiny splinters of bright red glass before melting into the air. Good, good, crooned the King Witch. Now go for the girl. Wish stood there, her fingers crooked now underneath the eye patch. She couldn't lift it to fight Zahar. Poor Zahar was still trying to control his own hand, but the combination of his arm with the witch stain and the enchanted sword was too strong for him, and he was being dragged nearer and nearer Wish, with a sword raised above his head to attack her, even though she was he was pulling in the direction with all his might. I can't fight this. It is too strong for me, thought Zahar wretchedly. Don't think about your weaknesses. Think about your strength, shouted Caliburn. Work with what you do have, not with what you don't. Use your disobedience, Zar, ordered Queen Sycorax, shouting from behind him. You have plenty of that. Zar turned and raised the sword towards the King Witch. He couldn't fight the King Witch completely, but he wasn't strong enough for that. But he could work with the King Witch's own desires. Zar had learned that lesson from the King Witch because that was exactly what the King Witch had been doing to him. You want the sword, Witch? shouted Zar. You can have it. With every single ounce of disobedience in his disobedient body, Zar shouted, No! Take that, you stinking, great, feather-armed freak of a nightmare witch! And he threw the sword with all of his might towards the king witch. There was a moment where it seemed if the sword wasn't going to leave the green grip of Zar's hand, but Zar had guessed rightly. The king witch did want that sword, for it was a very powerful magical object. The king witch's own wanting loosened Zar's grip. The sword sailed through the air and landed a couple of feet in front of him with a loud clatter. I will not do it, said Zar, chest heaving with the struggle of it, because I like wish. The king witch was astonished at this defiance. The boy should be his entirely. How was it possible that Zar would not do his bidding? But it did not change the ending. The king witch would finish this himself. He reached out his taloned hand and grasped the enchanted sword. He said some very powerful words of a spell to bind the sword to his hand so that the girl could not take it from him. With one, two beats of his great wings, he leapt into the air, wings spread wide up, 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 and then he swooped terrible, mouth agape to swallow the child whole. Well, we're going to have to finish there for this episode. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoyed it. And I hope to see you in the next episode, which should come out soon. So see you next time. Bye.